Welcome to the Shepherd's Pie, a slice of hope to raise faithful kids, where we focus on topics that impact young people today. I'm Antony Barone Kolenk. I'm a father of five who served in the Air Force for 21 years. I'm now a law professor and a columnist for Practical Homeschooling Magazine. I'm also the author of The Harwood Mysteries, an inspirational medieval fiction series for kids aged 10 and up. Here on The Shepherd's Pie, we want to inform, inspire, and help you to raise happy, healthy, faithful kids, whether you're a teacher, a youth leader, a parent, anyone. In today's episode, we talk about ways that teachers and youth leaders can better work with their students by identifying and coping with teacher burnout. My guest is Amy Catapan, a public school teacher and the award-winning author of the book, Sweet Jesus, Is It June Yet? And in the entertainment review segment of the show, I preview an author website with lots of clean reads for Christians of all denominations. It's called catholicteenbooks.com. Being a teacher, or homeschooling parent for that matter, is a tough job. We know how many pressures are out there, how many stressors exist when you're dealing with students throughout the year, day in and day out. It's probably safe to say that most parents don't appreciate all that their teachers do and all the difficulties that teachers go through to make our kids' educational experience a quality one. In our interview segment today, my guest AJ Catapan has a lot of experience dealing with teaching. And she's written a book specifically focused on using practical and faith-based techniques that she's developed for dealing with teacher burnout. Today I am with Dr. Amy J. Catapan an award-winning author, speaker, and middle school English teacher who has taught both in private and public schools for 25 years. Under her pen name, AJ Catapan, she's authored two fiction novels for teens, Angelhood and Seven Riddles to Nowhere, which I reviewed in my first Shepherd's Pie podcast, actually. And this past year, she released her first nonfiction book by Ave Maria Press called Sweet Jesus, Is It June Yet? 10 Ways the Gospels Can Help You Combat Teacher Burnout and Rediscover Your Passion for Teaching. She's been giving retreats and talks on the topic since that time, helping teachers discover how to avoid burnout through faith. Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on, Tony. It's a pleasure to be here. You've got this great background. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, your years teaching? Um, you know, I know you said just you taught in a Catholic school for a while and uh, and why you made the transition to public school and all that? Yeah, so I studied to be an English teacher at Marquette University, and then I wanted to come back home to Illinois. So I taught in Catholic schools. Eventually, I made the move over uh, to the public school so I could go on and finish my master's. And I ended up getting a doctorate in curriculum and instruction from Loyola University, Chicago. Wow. And so your newest book is called Sweet Jesus, Is It June Yet? And that's I love the title. It's super cute and clever. What made you want to write a book about uh, burnout? And and is this something that you've had to kind of uh, struggle with over the years yourself? Yeah, I think the uh, longer I hang around other writers, I learned that a lot of us, especially those of us who end up writing nonfiction at one point or another, 
we write the book we need. So I got to a point a few years ago where I was in the middle of my doctoral program and I was teaching full time and I, I was burned out and it got to spring break week and I went on a retreat in Atlanta, Georgia. And the week before I started thinking about, okay, how am I going to spend this five day silent retreat? What am I going to do? And I sat down in prayer one day and the thought came back to me and I can only think it was the Holy Spirit dropping one down was write a book about teaching like Jesus would, right? Jesus is the greatest teacher of all time, right? His followers called him rabbi. It means teacher. I thought, oh, that would be an interesting thing to pray about on the retreat. So I came up with sort of this game plan and I worked with the spiritual director on the retreat to read through the gospel of Mark on this retreat. It's the shortest gospel, so I figured I could get through it. And as things would pop up, I would jot them down in my prayer journal and my notebook. And I realized there was so much I could learn from Jesus as a teacher. So I thought, you know what? I could do something with this. And so by the time I got to the last night of the retreat, I had pages of notes so I typed up an outline for the book right there at the end of the retreat. And when the school year ended, I pulled it back out again and I wrote a proposal and started sending it off to publishers. When I was doing my master's in theology, one of the classes I took was on the Gospel of Mark. And it strikes me that you picked a great gospel to look at because the disciples are particularly dense in the Gospel of Mark. And at every turn, Jesus is like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> these guys just aren't getting it. And it seems like it would really test his patience as a teacher to have students who just don't seem to be getting the lessons that he's trying to teach them. So if there was ever a, a gospel to prove that the disciples were writing truth. It has to be the Gospel of Mark because nobody would write themselves looking that bad for most of the uh, gospel as they did there. But right. um, but okay, so so that's neat. So you've kind of got this gospel link to it and you were on the retreat. Uh, and I understand you're doing retreats now, I guess, taking the same message to other teachers. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So a blessing that has grown out of this book is that I've been approached by a few different people about leading retreats. So um, I have a retreat for principals, and then I have a retreat coming up at a retreat house called Bellarmine. And that one is open to any kind of educator who wants to come, a classroom teacher, principal, DRE, catechist, homeschooling parent, even if they would like hopefully energize teachers again for the rest of the school year. Because February is what one of my former principals referred to as the armpit of the school year. Like it's just the stinkiest thing. It's winter, it's dark, it's gloomy. It's too long until Easter and spring break and all that good stuff. And February is just kind of there in the middle. So hopefully people will be able to come and feel rejuvenated to make it through at least till, at least till spring break, if not till June. <laughs> I think that's neat, too, that, I mean, you're talking not just about public or Catholic school or private Christian school teachers, but while it's kind of maybe common sense what burnout might be, could you talk a little bit about, you know, what is burnout and how do you identify some of the signs that maybe you're getting burnt out as a teacher? Um, I think we know it in our gut, but it's just that feeling of being overwhelmed to the point where we almost don't know where to move forward or how to handle the next task or feelings of not being effective. One of the most challenging things about being a teacher is we don't always see the fruit of our labor. Um, we plant seeds. And so in the book, I talk about how we have to remember that we're planting mustard seeds. It might seem like, oh, it's this little thing I'm doing and it's not going to make a big difference. But when that mustard seed gets planted, this teeny, teeny, tiny seed, it becomes a really strong, fruitful tree. If you're lucky, you might have some students come back and thank you later, right? 
often I've noticed that some students, like they, they have no clue at the time they're in your classroom. But I have had some students, like once they've gone into high school, they'll come back and say to me, oh my gosh, you were a really good English teacher. I, I didn't know at the time. And I'm like, yeah, and I thought you hated me, right? We just don't always get that. That's a pretty rare gift when we are given that, that opportunity to meet with a student again and realize the impact that we have. So I think we have to treasure those moments when they do happen and just realize that a lot of the time we're not going to get that, but we are making a difference. And the progress is just so incremental at the time we don't notice it. When I look back on my middle school and high school years, honestly, my English teachers who were the most difficult are the people that I remember. They're the ones that I, I attribute like my basic foundational ability to be a good writer. I attribute to them. There was one funny story. I don't know if you know this, but one of our uh, colleagues in the Catholic Writers Guild turns out to be the daughter of my high school English teacher. And oh, no. Her mom was very pleased to receive a copy of my uh, Harwood Mysteries books because, you know, I think she kind of took a little credit knowing that I helped him to become a writer, whether at the time I knew it or not. So that was kind of a neat thing. But all right. So that's burnout. Uh, is there a way to actually avoid burnout? Is that one of the things you talk about? I I'm not sure it's 100% avoidable, but hopefully we can recognize the signs of it and then prevent it from becoming any worse. I mean, like there, there are things outside of our control, right? That's one of the things I brought up in the book. Like I cannot control what my students' home life is like. I don't know if they're coming from broken homes. I don't know if they got a good breakfast that morning. I can't control certain things. And those things can still eat away at me at times. When this is when, you know, that good old serenity prayer, I think comes into play. You have the serenity to accept those things I cannot change about my students' life the courage to change the things that I can. And I, I talk in the book about some things where I, I sometimes question things, you know, where my students um, wanted a real yearbook at this very tiny Catholic school that I taught at, the one that inspired Seven Riddles to Nowhere. And we were such a small school, we couldn't really afford to go with a yearbook company because if you only order like 50 copies, they're going to be like 25 bucks each. And who's going to buy this flimsy little yearbook for 25 bucks? Um, but I went to the principal. And I said, these kids really want a yearbook. What can we do? And we ended up, coming up with um, a way to do it where we asked a parent who had a printing business to print it for us. So we just kind of made up our own thing, right? So it's that kind of idea of letting go of the things you cannot control, having the courage to say, where can I make a difference with these kids? And the, asking for the wisdom to know the difference between the two, of course. So what are some of the lessons that the Gospels taught you for combating teacher burnout? Yeah. One of the good ones is remembering to always think about our students and how can we meet them where they are. And this is where we can remember, how did Jesus meet his apostles, right? He's going after fishermen. So where does he go? To the sea where they were. And then not only does he go to where they are, he talks to them in a way that they'll understand. He tells them, I am going to make you fishers of men. So he uses a, uh, a metaphor that they're going to understand. And in the same way, we kind of have to do the same thing our, with our students, right? What are the ways that we can talk to them? How can we make things relevant to them? Figuring out what makes them tick and reaching them that way. I think that's a big part of avoiding burnout. I also think about the way that Jesus sometimes called on the least likely students. So Matthew, how did he end up in this bunch of apostles, right? The tax collector, like the other apostles must have hated them. And so I have a section in the book about reaching out to the tax collectors in your classroom. Who are those kids that like nobody else wants to deal with? 
They're the one who gets on everybody's nerves and finding a way to make them feel like they are part of the group. Um, I think of like finding those kids who are ADHD, especially with the hyperactivity and giving them the jobs in the classroom, right? Hey, you can be my border racer. You can be my paper passer router, right? Making use of them in a positive way so that their energy gets burned off in class and they feel like they belong in the class too. Um, even just that whole idea of trying to create a community in the classroom too. Jesus would send out his apostles two by two. He knew they needed each other. And that's another way I think we as teachers need to remember, you know, we, we teach a very lonely kind of profession, right? It's us with our students. Find those professional learning communities, whether it's other people that you teach with at your school, whether it's friends who teach at other schools, whether it's online professional communities, going to seminars and workshops, going to teacher conferences to meet with other educators, but then also taking time alone, time to rejuvenate ourselves, right? Uh, taking those opportunities for retreats, taking time to talk to Jesus and asking him, how can I combat this burnout? What do I need to be doing right now in this moment? I think my prayer life has grown a lot in the last seven or so years. And I think that's helped me hang in a lot, especially during the pandemic. So just always remembering to take that time to communicate with him because he is the greatest teacher. So why not ask him for help? That is neat. I want to go back to this, the second part that you started talking about, which is, are there things teachers can do for themselves that will sort of get them out of that burnout mode? One of them you obviously mentioned is prayer. For me, I think journaling is very helpful. It's sort of part of my prayer life, but um, journaling out those ideas, making sure I do spend time talking with other educators. At one point in the book, I admitted that, you know, sometimes my coworkers and I just will have to check in with each other. Like, I need, I need some adult talking time. Can we just, can we just take five minutes and talk as adults for a bit? It's really okay. If you take five minutes before you go in to grade that next set of papers, um, prayer and meditation again, have helped a lot. And just, I think giving myself grace, right? Like letting myself be okay with things not going perfectly. And as a recovering perfectionist, that is hard, <laughs> um, but it's, it's okay. Like we go again, if we go back to the gospels, Jesus didn't cure everybody. He would go to a town. He maybe cured dozens, hundreds of people. And there's like, okay, time to move on to the next town. And I'm sure there were people up behind like, wait a minute, what about us? Right. And he's like, oh, well, we need to go on. We need to go on to the next town and preach there. It's okay. If not, everybody gets the message, right? There were people who rejected Jesus. Right. So just that being okay with not being perfect, accepting that grace of I've done my work. I did the best that I can do. And I'm going to leave the rest to God. Yes. Parents, I think we struggle with the same issue. Like you can, you know, get your kids to a certain point and at some point, you know, they become adults. And I know it's nice to be like, all right, I got them to their 18th birthday, or I got them to high school graduation, or I got them into college now. And it's up to them at this point. Um, even though that's not true, the family's always there. But yeah, at some point you just have to say, well, you know, I've done the role that was given to me for this child. And now it's going to be somebody else's teaching job in the next level or whatever. Uh, now you've taught uh, both Catholic and public schools. Have you seen any difference in, in burnout affecting teachers? I mean, does it hit everybody across the board? Is there any? I, the interesting thing is 
there's burnout everywhere. It doesn't really discriminate. The reasons for the burnout might be different, but it's definitely still there. And I think it's just a sign of the challenge of being an educator. Um, like I said, one of the biggest problems with teaching is that we don't always feel like we're being effective. We don't see the fruit of our labor. And that is just something that I think wears on all of us. And most of those things really seem to be out of the teacher's control. So, I mean, what's your advice to teachers who are in that position where it seems like the things that are really causing the most stress are the ones that they can do the least about? I think you have to figure about where you, again, you can make a difference and start small, right? Sometimes even when I have like a huge to-do list for school and I've got all these different things to grade and I'm overwhelmed, I'll start with the easiest thing let me grade these spelling tests or let me grade these things. I just need to kind of like check in and look over, get the easy things out of the way. Start with something small that can make a difference. And you're going to feel like, okay, I accomplished something and then give yourself some time to rest and then go figure out what the next little thing is that you can accomplish because we need to feel like we are being effective, even if it's just on a little level to start with. So start small, trust that your mustard seed is making a difference, give yourself rest time and then go in and tackle the next thing. And you mentioned that February can be the armpit of the school year. Um, So I suppose there are some things that are more seasonal than others, but any advice on February? How do you get through February if you're a teacher? Yeah, give yourself something to look forward to. That's another thing too that I've I've heard a lot of teachers thinking about lately, like, okay, when I make it to Friday, I'm going to celebrate with this little thing or that little thing. Finding little ways to reward yourself. I know even like with my paper grading sometime when I have like 140 essays to grade, I'm like, okay, I have a quota. It's 10 a day. Um, if I get, you know, my 10 done, then I can go and do this fun little activity or go get a nice, you know, coffee to drink or something like that. Um, or I'll, I'll try to make it fun. You know, I like to say a spoonful of sugar helps the paper grading go down. So, um, I I know like a Halloween time, sometimes I'll have have candy corn, right? If I grade an essay, I get one piece of candy corn. (laughs) I will reward myself. I am not, I am not above that in my taskmasting. Like I got to get this done. So I will, I will give myself a little reward just to get through. So yeah, in those hard times in February, find little ways to treat yourself or to reward yourself for just like getting through that little thing or surprise other people. That's a great thing too. Like I'll sometimes on a Friday show up with donuts for my team members. I'm like, hey guys, happy Friday. We made it through the week. Here's some donuts. And they're so grateful, right? Like doing something for somebody else is another great way to lift your own spirits too. You know, as we speak, I have a pile of law school essays that need to be uh, graded. And I'm starting to think about all the different kind of candies I can use to uh, <laughs> to entice myself to grade them. That's great advice. I, I might regret it, uh, you know, when I get to the gym <laughs> next time, but it sounds like a good way for me to get through those papers. So it sounds like you've got all of this advice and more in this book, uh, Sweet Jesus, Is It June Yet? So tell us a little bit, how can we get a hold of this book and how can people learn more about you and some of your other writings? Uh, Sweet Jesus is a Juniette is from Ave Maria Press. So of course, people could go directly to AveMariaPress.com. But you can also find it at all your online booksellers, your Amazon and your Barnes and Noble. And if people want to find out more about me and the retreats I'm leading and um, my own show, Catholic Live, where I interview authors, they can always come to my website, um, which is under my original pen name for my children's books. So that's AJCatapan.com. And of course, if you want to know way too much about what's going on in my personal life, you can come follow me on Instagram because I 
I probably overshare there, but you can find out all sorts of fun things about me on Instagram. You do do a lot of fun things on, on Instagram. And also I know your, uh, your newsletters are also nice that you send those out and put a lot of neat things like you're traveling to Italy. If I recall coming up, that sounds like another way to avoid burnout is get to Italy every year. Yeah, you know, when this opportunity came up, I was asked by select international tours to consider leading a pilgrimage. So yes, if any of your listeners want to come to Italy with me and my friend, Father Andy, he's a new priest from Holy Name Cathedral in downtown Chicago. Um, We're going to have a good time. We're going to visit a bunch of our favorite Italian saints. Yeah, that is definitely a carrot at the end of the school year stick for me. Wonderful. All right. So uh, as we wrap up, do you have any uh, final words of advice, um, whether you're a parent or a teacher, and you're kind of feeling like you're, you're struggling with burnout, any last minute encouragement for them? God is pleased with your work, even when you're struggling. You are a beloved son or daughter of God, and he is pleased with you. I talk about that part where, you know, Jesus shows up for the baptism and, you know, the heavens open up and this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, right? I'm like, wouldn't it be nice if we all started our teaching career that way? Like, hey, this is my beloved teacher with whom I am well pleased. Everybody listen to her. It's not the way it happens, but that doesn't mean God isn't pleased with us answering this call to teaching. So stay connected with Jesus and talk with him about it. He is pleased with you answering this call because it's a difficult job. I love that idea. And I'd love that if I could start every school year, first day of class where the heavens open up and God tells my students that they should listen to me. That sounds like a great way to do it. Um, Amy, thanks so much for being on the show. Like I said, we'll have to have you back sometime to talk about some of your other books too, but it's been a lot of fun. uh, and, And thank you for sharing all this great advice with us today. Thanks, Tony. It's a pleasure being with you. In our entertainment segment today, I wanted to highlight a particular website that I am blessed to be a part of with 16 authors who focus their writing on books for teens and tweens that are going to be clean reads, and that's catholicteambooks.com. And don't let the name of the website deceive you. Of course, the authors happen to be Catholic. The books, of course, would be acceptable to Catholic parents and families. But most of the books on here would be acceptable to any Christian family and, in fact, to anybody who wants their kids to have some interesting, clean reads that are both entertaining and also edifying. There are so many great books to choose from on this website. All the books have been reviewed and vetted. Some of them are more appropriate for older teens, and the website points all of that out. Let me just give you a very quick sampling going through our 16 authors and the types of books that are available. Some of the books touch on themes that are important for teenagers to address in the right context, a context of faith, hope, and redemption, especially themes that we might see exploited in mainstream publications that really are pressing different agendas on sexuality, for instance, or abortion or pro-life issues that many Christian parents would object to. For instance, one of our authors, Carolyn Asfalk, has a book, Rightfully Ours, which deals with themes of premarital chastity and overcoming temptation as a teenager. A.J. Catapan has three books on the website, including one called Angelhood, which deals with issues of teen suicide in a very thoughtful way. 
Similar to the holiday movie It's a Wonderful Life, where a teenager who commits suicide must become a guardian angel to earn her wings to save a young teen from taking her own life. I've previously reviewed Stephanie Engelman's book A Single Bead, which deals with the power of prayer in the life of a family of a teen who's lost her grandmother in a tragic plane accident. T.M. Gowett has six books available through the website, four in her Faith and Kung Fu series, which also handles many of the temptations that our teenagers are facing today. Ellen Gable has three books available that you might call sweet, clean romances set in historical periods, such as World War I. Katie Jones has a fascinating book, Treachery and Truth, which actually tells the true story of good King Wenceslas, who we hear in the Christmas Carol every year, set during the Dark Ages. Marie Kaiser has a science fiction book called Heaven's Hunter, which deals with issues of love and hatred, revenge and forgiveness, set in another galaxy. I've spoken before on this show with Amanda Lauer about her Heaven Intended series of books set during the Civil War, which really helped teach teens how to find common ground with those they disagree with. Teresa Linden has 11 different books available on the website, including her Liberty series of books, which is a dystopian trilogy for older teens set in a not-so-distant future where faith, family, and freedom do not exist. I've previously spoken with Carmela Martino about her two books, Rosa Sola and Playing by Heart, which really emphasize the importance of our ethnic heritage in our lives. Susan Peake has five historical fiction books, including one I've previously spoken about regarding the Crusader King, the Leper King, Baldwin IV, during the Middle Ages. Andrea Joe Rogers has two mystery books for middle schoolers, Saving Mount Rushmore and Saving the Statue of Liberty, along the lines of national treasure, with kids having to solve mysteries with famous national monuments involved. Cynthia Tony has five books on the website, all dealing with teenagers in sweet romance situations, including her novel Six Dates to Disaster. We've previously reviewed some of Corinna Turner's works, who writes in a wide variety of genres, including her dystopian series I Am Margaret and her dinosaur series Unsparked. And author Leslie Wall has five books on the website, one of which I previously reviewed, The Perfect Blindside, dealing with a teenage snowboarder, and again, handling different teenage issues in the context of some very interesting and modern mysteries. And then, of course, there's my Harwood mystery series, Shadow in the Dark, The Haunted Cathedral, and The Fire of Eden, which take place in 12th century England, following the life of Zan and Lucy as they solve spooky mysteries at Harwood Abbey. So you see the wide variety of genres and authors and period pieces, something for everyone, boys, girls, older teens, middle schoolers. So I encourage you to check out catholicteenbooks.com this year as you're looking for good, clean reads for your teens and tweens. That's all the time we have for the show today. We spoke with Amy Catapan an award-winning author and school teacher, about ways that teachers and youth leaders can better cope with teacher burnout. 
and I previewed the website catholicteenbooks.com, which is chock full of clean reads for Christians of all denominations. Again, this is Anthony Barone Kolank, and this has been The Shepherd's Pie. If any of you listening today have a question for me or a topic you'd like to have us cover on the show, please drop me a line on my website at antonycolank.com. That's A-N-T-O-N-Y-K-O-L-E-N-C.com. Also, if you visit my website, you can learn more about my historical fiction series for kids, The Harwood Mysteries. I'll end, as always, with my wife's favorite scripture quote from Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. May the Lord bless and keep you this week.